0: Dear Father, in this season of Advent, give us hearts of expectation, draw us together in unity, that our praise and worship might echo now and around us, and also throughout our lives. In this Advent of expectation, draw us together in mission, that the hope within might be the song we sing and the melody of our lives. In this advent of expectation, draw us together in service that the path we follow might lead us from stable to a glimpse of eternity. Amen. Will you open your Bibles to Ephesians 2, 11 through 22? And I'm going to ask Elizabeth Heim to come up and read for us. Again, that's Ephesians two eleven through twenty two.
1: All right, please stand for the reading of God's word. Once again, from Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope
2: Good morning, Merry Christmas, Happy Advent, Happy Holidays, etc., etc. Great to be with you as always on a beautiful morning. I got a run-in this morning, so beautiful, crisp. It's not going to be crisp for long today, I've been told, but a beautiful morning and great to be together worshiping the Lord, uh, hearing from His Word. So today we come to the end of a series that began back in September, I promise, I promise, I promise, this is the last time you will see this image. I promise. Maybe. We'll see. I think. We've been talking for a long time, actually a series that began not in September, a series that really began uh, back in um, the summertime. This, uh, we started in the summer by talking about this inner life with God. What does it look like to put the cup of our lives under the fountain of God's grace and love and mercy and be filled up by all that he is for us in Jesus Christ? And then this fall, we've been talking about, okay, having been filled up, what does it mean to live lives of overflow? To have that love and that grace overflow into the lives of others around us? What does it mean to reach out to this world with the love and grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And we started that outreach conversation by starting where we are, where we find ourselves every day, where we live, where we work, where we play. We don't have to go anywhere to, to have eyes open to the opportunities around us. And then we've ended in late November and December by talking about, okay, sometimes we do need to reach out beyond our natural places and natural categories and look beyond to what we might consider the other. Last week, we talked about reaching out to the poor and needy right in our midst in Orange County. And today we're gonna to talk about what does it mean to reach out to those who, find, who are in a very different racial or ethnic category, a group from ourselves. What does it mean to be people who reach out beyond our normal categories building bridges with other people, forming friendships with other people who don't look like us, who come from a very different background from us. What does the gospel have to do with racial reconciliation? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Hopefully you see the connection with our passage today. What does the gospel have to do with being people who are about reconciliation with all kinds of people? And I just want to acknowledge right up front um, that this conversation is happening in the midst of an interesting three to four years in our country, these last three or four years, where I think racial tension is probably, in my adult lifetime, as high as it's ever been. Uh, I'm thinking of names like Trayvon Martin, uh, Michael Brown, these men of color that have been involved in police shootings beginning about three or four years ago, and then the protests in Ferguson, Baltimore, around the country. I'm thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement that has emerged in the last four or five years. I'm thinking of Charlottesville earlier this year and uh, a white supremacy movement that we've seen rear its head. A lot of anti-Semitism especially involved uh, there. I'm thinking of images of NFL players kneeling during the national anthem. And then over all of this, I'm thinking of the election of Donald Trump. And the the fear and the anger that his rhetoric uh, elicits in many different communities. And so I recognize that I'm speaking into an America that has experienced all of that in the last four to five years. And so I know that this conversation uh, triggers all sorts of emotions and reactions and questions and issues. And um, I just want to acknowledge that on the front end. And what I want to do today is, is have us ask the question... What does it mean to be the people of God in this context today? What does it mean to be salt and light in the context in which we find ourselves? And for most of us in this room who are white, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ and be white? What is the faithful? What is the appropriate response in our world today? That's what I want to talk about. And what I want to do is let the scripture speak to us today. Let's just go to the scriptures and see what the gospel has to do uh, with some of these issues. And and I just want to confess on the front end, um, I'm I'm a newcomer to this conversation, more or less, okay? As a white kid who grew up in Newport Beach, all right? All right. So for me, uh, racial tension and racial reconciliation was just not something that I faced. It, it was not an issue that I experienced with any sense of urgency in my life. That's just, I, that's, that's not a right or wrong, that's just what my experience was. And so if you, even in my 20s, if you had asked me what the gospel has to do with race, even in my 20s, I would have honestly said, honestly, I don't really know. I mean, I, I know Jesus tells us to love everybody. I get that far. But other than that, um, I don't know what I would have said. I I thought, you know, the gospel is is about this, it's a spiritual conversation. That's one conversation. Race feels like a, a social conversation or even a political conversation. I didn't see the connection between those two things. And and in the last 15 years of my life, I've just realized how, how wrong my perspective was and how narrow my perspective of the gospel was. That Growing up, I had this picture of the gospel that the gospel is that God is saving individuals and he's preparing them for heaven. And I didn't see what that had to do with racial reconciliation. And now I see a much fuller picture of the gospel that we get today, that the gospel is not just about God saving individuals, though he is doing that in the world but that the gospel is this, that God is forming a community of people from all tribes and nations who together, in their relationships together, live out the life that God desires through his spirit. And that has everything to do with race and with reconciliation between peoples of all different kinds, class, race, gender, you name it. And so I just... I didn't see that, that in, in scripture, but I've, I've come to realize entire books of the New Testament were written to deal with the issue of race, of in the first century case of Jews and Gentiles coming together for the first time in history and trying to figure out in this, this sort of clunky way, how do we do life together now as the people of God? And so that's sort of my, my confession acknowledgement of um, my own experience in this, or lack thereof, and, and I also want to just say, my experience, I think, parallels, in some ways, probably our church's experience, in the sense as, as a primarily white group of folks, um, this is not an issue that we, we probably feel with a, a huge sense of urgency. And so it's not something, I'll just speak for myself, that... that we have addressed as a leadership. It's not a regular conversation that has been happening. And I think that's just worth just acknowledging and actually confessing. Um, as I've seen this now as, a, as a, just a very core gospel issue, I go, that's been a big gap. And I'll just speak personally. That's been a gap in my teaching. And, and I think, you know, we regularly go through confessions on Sundays. And one of the ones we read says, um, for the things we've done and, and forgive us for the things that we have left undone. And this feels like one of those things that, that I have left undone. It's a gap in the gospel story. And so I think it's important just to start that way and say, I don't want it to be a gap. I want this to be a, a, a more regular conversation that we're having as a community because it's so core to the gospel. So today I want to do that. Um, obviously we're just scratching the surface in, in the next 30 minutes, but I want to let the scriptures speak and remind ourselves of what the gospel is. All right, and that'll be the way we conclude this service on reaching uh, this, this series on reaching out. So you with me on that? Make sense. All right. So uh, amazing passage. One of my favorite passages in Scripture today. Let me read the first two verses again. There's, I, want, I want to encourage you to really focus today because there's a lot of dense stuff in this passage. All right? So try to stay with me. Try to use your, bring your mind today. You might be tired. You might have just come from a Christmas party last night. Wherever you are, be here and try to really uh, take in this passage. So let me read verse 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is actually just done in the body by human hands. Remember at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. All right, so what you need to know in the the ancient world, first century, there was this huge divide, basically between Jews and everybody else, (laughs) That was essentially, that was Gentiles. It was a racial divide, right? They came from, they had a different racial background. Uh, It was a huge cultural divide. Their lifestyles were so different. Jews observed the Sabbath. They ate kosher food, right? They they didn't eat certain things. Uh, They were circumcised if they were men. Their lives looked so different than the Gentiles who did none of those things. So there was a cultural divide. And then there was also a, a spiritual divide. And this is where the analogy to today's context doesn't quite, it's not apples to apples, but this was actually something that in, in a real sense God had done, right? Beginning with Abraham, he had, he had chosen a group, the Jewish people, and he wanted to bless them. Ultimately, they'd be a blessing to the world, but really, he really had done something unique in the Jewish context to the, to the Jewish people. And so there was this massive divide, okay? Whatever tension you can think of today between two different groups, that. That kind of visceral tension existed between Jew and Gentile. Gentiles would have looked at Jews as just weird. Jews would have looked at Gentiles as sinful, as dirty, as they would actually called them dogs. Okay, so there was there was all there would be a visceral tension. If you were a Jewish kid growing up, you would have never stepped foot in a Gentile home in your life. Okay, you would have never sat across a table and had a meal with a Gentile. Um, some of you, how many women are in the abide uh, ministry? Okay, so this, just this Wednesday, you guys just went through, right, the story in Acts of Cornelius and Peter, where, where Jesus gives Peter this vision that now the Gentiles are being included in the gospel, and he sends Peter to Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, and Cornelius' family has gathered, and Peter walks into a Gentile home. With all these people surrounding him. And his opening line is this. Uh, this is not a great line for like racial reconciliation. Uh, You're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Okay, that's his opening line. But what I realized as I read that recently, as a, as a grown man, that was literally the first time he'd ever stepped foot in a Gentile home. I mean, that's, that's the kind of divide that existed between them. It's dynamics. And so you see in verse 11 and 12 that for the Gentiles, who are most of us in this room, uh, Paul saying, you were excluded. You were on the outside. You were foreigners to the in-group, which was the Jews. But then he goes on in verse 13 to say, but now God is doing something new in Jesus Christ. Okay? Try to follow this. Listen carefully. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. "'For he himself is our peace. "'He's made the two groups, that's Jew and Gentile, one, "'and has destroyed the barrier, "'the dividing wall of hostility, "'by setting aside in his flesh "'the law with its commandments and regulations. "'His purpose was to create in himself "'one new humanity out of the two, "'thus making peace, and in one body "'to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, "'by which he put to death their hostility.'" He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those of you who are near. That's Jew and Gentile. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. Amen. I want to point out this word that shows up twice, this word uh, hostility. If you look at the end of verse 14, he talks about the dividing wall of hostility. And then at the end of verse 16, it talks about Jesus putting to death their hostility. That word, hostility, sums up the relationship between Jew and Gentile in the first century mistrust, uh, uh, not knowing one another, feeling more superior than the other, and hostility, whether implicit or actually open hostility. And yet the gospel is this Jesus on the cross put To death, that hostility between Jew and Gentile. The dying of Jesus on the cross, Paul is saying, means the dying of hostility between these two people groups. And I want you you to see how this works, okay? There's a real practical issue that Jesus deals with on on the cross, and then there's a, a more theological one. The practical issue you see in verse 14, okay? or actually in verse 15, 15, he destroys the dividing wall of hostility. Look at verse 15. How does he do it? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So practically speaking, there was a huge barrier between Jews and Gentiles, and that barrier was the law. The law that God had given the Jews, the law that told them, this is how you're to live. This is what makes you clean and acceptable in God's sight. And I mentioned some of these things. Observe the Sabbath, okay? Eat kosher. There are certain foods you can eat. There are certain things you should avoid. Be circumcised. Go to temple. Offer sacrifices. All of these things, these are the things that Jews said, this is what makes a person clean in the eyes of God. We do these things, Gentiles don't. Therefore, we are clean and Gentiles are unclean. And the gospel is this, that on the cross, Jesus in his flesh sets aside the law with its commandments and regulations. This is how this works. Jesus in his life, he perfectly fulfilled all the requirements of God's law. Okay, whatever's required for a human being in themselves to be perfectly clean and acceptable in God's sight, Jesus has perfectly done in its entirety. And then on the cross, he offers the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, for all the things that make everybody else unclean in a holy God's sight. His sacrifice offers forgiveness for everybody. And now, what makes a person clean and acceptable in God's sight is not perfect observance of the law. What makes them clean and acceptable is faith. It's trusting in Jesus and what he's done. It's not keeping the law perfectly. And faith is available to anybody, to Jew or to Gentile. That's what makes everyone clean in God's sight is trusting in what Jesus has done. And so now there's an even playing field. That law that was this huge divide is now Jesus set it aside. No, no, that doesn't matter. Circumcision doesn't matter. What you eat doesn't matter. Sabbath doesn't matter in terms of what makes you right before God. And practically that changed things. Now Jews and Gentiles can actually sit across the table and eat food for the first time. Because those things don't matter anymore. So there's a very practical way that Jesus it's removed a, a barrier, which was the law. Now we come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has reconciled us all through faith. And that gets, I think, to the heart of the gospel, really the spiritual component of this, which you see um, in verse 16. This is the core. If you don't hear anything else, this is what I want you to hear. Um, So Jesus has made peace, verse 16, and in one body, in his body, to reconcile both of them, that is both Jews and Gentiles, to God through the cross. Okay, here's how Jesus reconciles Jews and Gentiles. Not by saying, hey, I'm just gonna reconcile you guys to each other. Just start getting along. That's not what he does. No, what he does is he reconciles Jews to God through the cross, and he reconciles Gentiles to God through the cross. And the idea is, we're reconciled to God. You're reconciled to God. That means that we are now reconciled to one another. Okay? Look at verse uh, 18. For through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Wow, through Jesus. Well, God is your Father. Well, God is God's my Father too. We have the same Father. Oh, so that makes us what? brothers, sisters, family. And the same spirit of God that is living in me is the same spirit that is living in you. So how can I have hostility towards you when God doesn't have hostility towards you? When God has adopted you as his son or daughter, and he's adopted me as his son or daughter, and his spirit's working, how can we not be reconciled to one another? So that's the beautiful thing of the cross. I think that the the two beams of the cross are a really helpful visual because most of the time we think of on the cross, there's this vertical beam and, and Jesus reconciles human beings to God on the cross. We normally think about that on the cross, but the other beautiful truth of the gospel is this horizontal beam that because we've been reconciled to God, then by definition, we have now been reconciled to one another. And that's why I think the, the current conversation in the culture about reconciliation will always lack the power that the gospel can bring. Because just trying to bring bring people together is not the same as people who have both been reconciled to God through Jesus. That's the power of reconciliation. And that's what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So you get all of this this great uh, words of, of peace and reconciliation and oneness in this passage. Look at verse 14 again. He himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one. Look at verse 15, second half of verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And then let me read verses 19 through 22 again. Look at these images. Consequently, now he's speaking to Gentiles. You Gentiles are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All these analogies, you're you're one body, you're one nation, you're one household, you're one temple. We are now one Jew and Gentile through faith in Jesus Christ. This is how how Paul says it in Colossians. Here... He's talking about in the reconciled community of God, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Or at least that's how it should be, <laughs> Paul is saying, right? Now, he's not literally saying there's no Jew or Gentile. He's not saying, hey, we're all colorblind here. We don't recognize that some of us are this color, some of us. No, no, he's saying, no, that's true, but, but now Christ is all. Meaning Christ is the most important thing to all of us. And Christ is in all. Despite our differences, Christ is in you and Christ is in me. And so there's this this unity that Jesus desires for his people. That's the gospel. that, That Jesus died to reconcile us to one another. That he gave his life so there might be peace between not just us and God, but between us and us. And us and all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ all over the world. I want to go on and give you two more verses in Ephesians. What's the purpose in all of this? What's the purpose of this reconciled community? Okay, what's the purpose of the diversity that God wants to create in his church? Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Keep coming with me. You still with me? Yeah, okay. For this reason I, Paul... Paul was the Jew of Jews, right? (laughs) I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. God took the Jew of Jews and sent him off to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He goes on in verse 6 to talk about the mystery that he's been given. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Same things we've been talking about. And then here's the purpose. Here's God's purpose. Verse 10, I want you to hear this. God's intent... Was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It says the purpose of God creating the church is that his wisdom, his greatness would be seen to the watching world. And it's described as his manifold wisdom. And that word manifold literally means multicolored in the Greek. Okay, Multifaceted, various, diverse uh, John Piper uses, in this verse, uses this picture. He says, the picture is as if God is an artist, okay? And he's got this canvas, and he's painting this beautiful picture, and the picture that he's painting is of the church. And he's got this palette, palette, and it is multicolored. He's got blues and reds and greens and blacks and whites and, and everything, and he's putting together this beautiful, multicolored work of art. And his purpose in doing that is to display his own glory to the watching world, that the watching world would see this community, this multicolored, diverse community coming together and give glory to God. And this is what we need to realize. When people who all look the same are loving each other really well, that gives glory to God, okay? But when people who are very different, who look very different, who come from very different backgrounds, when they're all loving each other, that gives greater glory to God. Because the world sees that and says, what gives? Like what, these people don't have any business hanging out with each other. They have nothing in common. And yet here they are loving each other and, and, and doing life together. Man, something gives there. And what gives is the God of the universe and his glory is being displayed through his church. That's the purpose that God has for diversity, not just diversity for diversity's sake, but diversity for his glory's sake. And of course, we know how the story is going to end when Christ returns, and we'll see the full redemption of this very diverse community. As it says in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, this is John saying, after this, I looked And there before me, you know the verse, was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Talk about a diverse community. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, and they are singing with one voice. I have no idea how this all works in in eternity, but they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is where the story is headed and Paul is trying to help the church today say, live in light of that. That is the gospel. That's what Jesus Christ is up to in his cross. And that's what he wants his church to be about in the world until he returns and, and fully transforms this and fully brings perfection that only he can bring. So that's the gospel. Um, that is what, God, what, what Jesus is up to. Uh, and at the same time, we know that in reality, this is a really hard and clunky <laughs> process. And I wanted to give, I wanted to preach like a two-hour sermon this morning. No, I'm not going to do that. But I wanted to, I, what I want to do is walk us through the book of Acts and the early church's experience of this and show just what a clunky, difficult process it was for Jews and Gentiles to, to recognize How we do this well, God had to like give visions and miracles. He had to do a lot because it was just so counter to um, what they were used to. And so, all that to say, this is clunky, and that's a beautiful picture of what what Christ wants to do. Um, But we know in reality, it's very clunky and challenging process. So, but how do we to to wrap this up? How do we live then in light of what the gospel is in light of our current cultural moment in this country, um, what does it mean to be followers of Jesus? And I want to throw out um, three, I think, really simple, uh, fairly obvious uh, suggestions, but I think they still bear uh, mentioning. The first is this. uh, Right now in our culture, there are a lot of voices crying injustice in our country, a lot of voices crying injustice. And what I want to ask is, for those of us who are white, but who are followers of Jesus, who have the Spirit of God, Living us, what should our posture towards those voices be? And let me suggest that I think we should have our first posture should be a posture of humility towards those voices. A posture that says, Hey, I wanna, I wanna listen, I wanna hear, I want to understand your experience. I was thinking of James 1 this week. This is what James says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So to say, you know, I want to hear. Uh, I, I want to understand your lived experience, because I want to acknowledge my experience is not the only experience out there. Help me understand. I, wa- I want to hear. I want to be humble. I want to be quiet enough and sit long enough to understand your lived experience. And we may not ag- agree on all, all the issues. We, we certainly might not agree on what the solutions are, but that, that feels like the right posture to start with, particularly as white people who are trying to follow Jesus in this current uh, cultural context. So that's the first. I think that hopefully that should be obvious, but I often don't see that actually taking place. So I thought that was important to say. Uh, second, the, the main thing I want to say, and, and this is not a uh, three-month process. This is the twenty-year <laughs> process, the the rest of our lives process. But I think. Um, that in light of what the gospel is, we want to be working hard to form real friendships across cultural, across ethnic racial boundaries. We ought to be people. The people of Jesus ought to be working hard to form Real, genuine friendships across racial and ethnic categories. And I say it because in, in my mind, so much of the conversation right now is, ha- is happening over social media, right? It's happening on a computer, or it's happening in these forms of large protests. And there's, I'm not saying all that's wrong, but what, what we really need is two people sitting across a table from one another, having a real conversation, trying to actually understand one another, two people who actually might trust one another and then walk into And I would say, this might sound funny, but I would say especially to pursue relationships with Christians, at least as a starting point, with Christians who come from a different uh, ethnic background from ourselves. I say that, of course, anybody is great, but I say that because there's this implicit trust that you have with one another. Like, hey, we know that our, our basic worldview is the same. We're, we both love Jesus. We're both trying to figure out how to follow him. So there's a basic trust. And then from that trust of that relationship, um, you can say, okay, so here we are. I, I want to be a learner. I want to be a learner. Help me, help, help me. A, a, Understand how you see things. Help me experience things uh, through your eyes as as much as I can. And to bring a humility to one another that where you, maybe you're just even open. you like, hey, I don't think I'm a racist, um, but I'm sure there's some implicit biases that I live with that I'm not even aware of. And those may crop up during the course of our friendship. And the same with you. And c- do we have the, the, the grace with one another and the patience with one another to, to engage in maybe the clunkiness of, of what that can be and, and to just have a humility with one another and say, hey, let's, let's do this together and let's do our best um, to do that. I, I, I think that's what's needed is real people sitting across the table who are friends and can engage these conversations. And it's really interesting for me um, personally. uh I've had a couple things drop in my lap. This is not stuff that I was pursuing on my own. But in the last three years, I've had two pastoral programs, uh, free programs to me, just drop in my lap um, that have been amazing experiences. And they have both uh, been, put me uh, with other church leaders who are men and women of very diverse racial backgrounds, okay? One was in the Bay Area, one was more LA area. And being with brothers and sisters in Christ of that diversity that I don't normally experience, and honestly, that I wasn't even pursuing that has been so good for me. That has been so enriching for me, especially in light of the last three years of the events, to actually now go through these events with these people as friends, to kind of experience these events through their eyes and from their perspective has been so good for me. Um, I I could share a lot of stories. I, I wanna share just one or two things that have happened so a friend who's uh, African-American, uh, leading an African-American church in, in Oakland. So for them, going through you know, the last three years of the police shootings and all that, every time a person of color was shot, that Sunday, you know, they would have a picture of that person on the screen. They'd have a time of silence and a time of prayer for that person and their family. They were grieving the, the loss of uh, you know, someone in, in their racial community. I thought, it never would have occurred to me. To do something like that, and again, I get there's all sorts of issues connected with those things. So I'm not I'm not even speaking to those, but to know that brothers and sisters, their experience is, is one of grief. Um, that's really good information for me to know, and and to realize that that would never occur to me to have done that. Gosh, that's that's an enriching experience. And um, we did we did another experience uh, with the other program where we are getting to know each other, and I think you had like five words to describe yourself. Yeah, you, know, you Describe yourself in five words. Maybe it was 10 words. I can't remember. And one of the guys uh, who was a Latino guy, I think his second word was Latino, right? So he's, I'm, I'm whatever, follower Jesus, Latino. I'm, you know, adventurous, whatever. And I thought, wow. Word number, like, if you gave me 30 words, white would never have occurred to me. That's helpful information. Like, I don't experience myself as white in the same way that he experiences himself as Latino. Wow, that is, that's really good information for me. And, and what I've come to realize is, is, you know, as a white male, when, when, you're, when you're part of a majority culture, um, you don't experience yourself as part of a majority. You don't experience yourself as powerful. You certainly don't experience yourself as trying to oppress anybody. You just experience yourself as comfortable, you experience yourself as being able to chart your course through life and make decisions. You just experience yourself as comfortable. It's kind of like asking fish, do you realize you're in water? Like, well, you know, I'm, this is just kind of how I live. When you're not part of that culture, what that what that person experiences as comfortable, when you're in a minority court, you experience as vulnerable or as powerless or as being on the outside of something. And so the the... The amount that that shapes your identity uh, is significant and powerful. And for me to recognize it, I just experienced being comfortable. Well, they experienced that as being vulnerable. Wow, that is, um, that's a really helpful thing for me to know about another brother or sister in Christ. That, that's a really important thing. And so, again, it doesn't solve the problems, but what we need, I think, it's the power of friendship to begin to open our eyes to how other people experience the world. And then you engage in this process of living life together and trying to love each other. And so I think that's the most important thing we can do. Again, that's the long play. That's not a three-month process. That's a 20-year, 25-year deal. But that we're, we're, we are working hard to begin to form those kinds of friendships. And then the last thing I'd say is, hey, let's take the easy steps there are to take. Like, there's really easy steps to just say, I want to be a person who's, if this is part of the heart of the gospel, I want to be a person who's thinking about this. I mean, even as symbols like, let's watch some movies. You know, let's, let's watch some good movies that deal with the issues of race and and tension and and reconciliation. I mean, there's all sorts of movies that, you know, old school, Stand and Deliver, right? Or McFarland USA or Selma. Uh, My my wife's favorite is Remember the Titans. It's just like high school football story. You guys know that one? Uh, Hidden Figures, I thought was fantastic. Um, Watch movies and talk about what, what are the, what are the issues that read books, right? Let's read some books by Christians who have thought a lot about the issue of race and, and racial reconciliation. Um, I read my first Martin Luther King Jr. book uh, last year, and it uh, was a fantastic experience. Um, I just read another book by two uh, evangelical Christians called Being White, uh, and that also was a great book for me. Really good. Uh, super helpful, um, not provocative, really good. Um, so let's take the easy steps. Let's 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 read. Let's watch. I mean, those are easy things to do. But this is the long play, right? Um, the idea is in 15 years, I, uh, I'm engaged in this because it's a core gospel issue in a way that I'm not today. And, and, and not just as individuals, but as a church. In 15 years, in 10 years, our church looks different than it does today on these issues. Jesus Christ died to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to one another. And so, as Christ followers, we want to be men and women of reconciliation in today's context. Let's pray. Well, Lord, today, as we have had an opportunity to be reminded of the gospel, uh, would your spirit Let that gospel sink in, that we have been reconciled to you, that you don't count our sins against us. And for those that are here today and are especially under a weight of guilt and shame and sin, would you remind them that at the cross, you have put to death the hostility between you and them by cleansing them of all their sins. And for those of us that need to be reminded of that, would you remind us today, would we experience the freedom and the removal of that weighty burden of guilt, that it is put to death? There's no condemnation. Lord, we need to be reminded of that every day. We are not made clean by our own goodness, but we are made clean, we are washed clean by your blood. And we also pray that you would make real to us the relational results of that, that we are now reconciled to one another. I pray especially for people in this room who have conflict within themselves, in this very room where there's relationships, where there's there's, uh, hostility, tension, um, pain that you would, your spirit would work in us hearts of humility and grace, that we would move towards reconciliation, that we would have those conversations that are hard and clunky, but that are good. And I pray that we would also be people of reconciliation uh, in all contexts of our lives, uh, that we'd be people who long for peace, and not just a superficial peace, but a peace that comes from knowing you, being reconciled to you. So may we, we be a community of reconciliation. May we be people who are courageously reaching out beyond our normal circles um, to love and serve and to be served uh, by those who look very different than us but that love you. May we be a part of that, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.